Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, February 12th, and um, oof. Uh, today's episode is late. It is. Uh, I know that. I don't know that I'm sorry about it. I don't think that's the right way to put it. Um, look, I know that you guys want to hear about the XFL the past weekend on Monday. I acknowledge that. I'll never make an episode this late, uh, but it was necessary that this episode is late. Um, you know, this past weekend was the anniversary of my younger brother's death. It's the one time a year I go, you know what? Uh, everything else goes in the back burner. Uh, February 8th will always be a really difficult day for me. It's, you know, the anniversary of his death and it's, I took it off. I actually went to the beach with my girlfriend, had an amazing weekend. Uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you so much to the people who do watch and do listen to the show because you guys watching make it possible for me to go to the Oregon coast for the weekend. I saw, I met a guy actually down there. Uh, I was driving through a, a small town and I got a message on Instagram and uh, Sammy goes, hey, you're in my town. You want to get lunch? And I said, sure. And I met up with this guy through an Instagram message who knew the show and uh, really fun. I met a fan of the show and it was really, really cool. Um, I love to do that kind of stuff when I'm going to New York later this uh, like in February, I'm going to New York uh, in Seattle. I'm going to Seattle the next two weekends. I want to meet people that listen to the show. I'm, ha- I'm an open door. Like if you want to get lunch with me and I'm around and I'm free, I would love to get lunch with anybody listening to this show. That means a lot to me. Um, but the whole point of that whole story was to say that, you know, I missed, I didn't watch any XFL on Saturday or Sunday. I was away at the beach just trying to um, focus on my own life for a little bit. And I, you know, I, so my, my point is on Monday and Tuesday, I watched the XFL. I caught up. I watched every single snap uh, from the XFL. And I, I got a lot to say, man. First of all, I got to say, I believe it's pretty clear that Everybody who watched week one of XFL football can acknowledge that it was a huge success. Week one was phenomenal, man. I don't, I loved it. Um, I watched every game. It was high quality football. It really was. Um, you know, these guys, it's very clear, are right on the edge of NFL talent wise. Uh, it's a big step up from college football. Honestly, often college football is hard for me to watch because. In college football, you see a world where often a really good team can physically dominate a team that's not as good. Like, for example, I hate watching Alabama play New Mexico State. It's not fun. A lot of times when you see a team like Alabama or uh, Clemson or LSU last year, they play a team and they're just physically dominating, and it's not fun because there's no parity. And I, I love f- parity in football, and it's very clear that when you watch the XFL, everybody on the field belongs to be there. And what it does is makes the football focus go to, instead of mismatches physically, it puts the focus on execution, guys being in the right spot, uh, throwing accuracy, guys having composure. The fine details that make football really fun for me get emphasized when there's parity talent-wise. The XFL not only has a lot of parity talent-wise, it's got really good talent. And a lot of the guys I think we're going to see in this league are probably going to be either on NFL teams coming up next fall, or at least be in the discussion and play in the preseason. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of good talent in the XFL. And guys are hitting, man. I got to admit, um, when you watch the XFL, guys are playing with a little bit of a different freedom and, and not in a dangerous way. I really enjoy, I, I haven't watched football in a long time where I saw guys just hitting each other and not afraid to get penalized. And it just seems like people in the XFL the players have permission to hit 
And it's a very different mindset. In the NFL, in the NCAA, in college football, you see guys pull up. You see guys are like, it's like defenders are nervous to hit people because the rules are so ambiguous. They're not sure whether they're going to get a penalty or not. The XFL has made it clear. We want guys to hit. And I think actually in the process, this is a real thing, in the process of uh, making it acceptable to hit, I think it actually makes the game safer because you have guys who aren't pulling up late. There's no hesitation. They go through the play. Yes, there's big contact, but big contact doesn't necessarily mean big injury. Often in football, you get injured when you pull up, when you slow down, when you're thinking. Because of this, I I really think the XFL is really fun to watch, watching these guys hit each other and go full speed through a play. There's no hesitation. Guys are going full tilt, and there's no hesitation. To some degree, I I wish I had a, a way to explain. I don't know how to explain this properly, but... When you hesitate, when you slow down in football, that's when you tend to get hurt. And I, I watched a lot of big collisions over the weekend. I watched all four XFL games, and I didn't see any horrible, jarring stuff. I just saw enjoyable, fun hits that were, for the first time in a long time, I was like, wow, I miss watching hitting in football. It actually is actually really enjoyable watching guys go full tilt the way they did. And the games are fast. I mean, it is, it's perfect. It really is. Um, the, the shorter play clocks, which... Forces teams to go faster, creates more possessions. It means that later in games you go, hey, uh, it's not going to be just easy for a team to wind down the clock and steal this game. They got to make plays and get first downs to hold on to the ball if they want to run the clock down. And it's really good for the flow of the game. Having the shorter play clocks, having the game sped up works really well. I love it. And the XFL has gotten so many things right. For the first time in years, I'm watching punt returns. I'm watching kick returns. In the NFL, I just when there's a kickoff, I literally skip it. I often record games. I'll watch them that way. Like I'll, I usually watch on a 30-minute delay so I can skip through commercials. And I skip a lot of kickoffs because I don't care. It's a touchback 95% of the time. That is not the case in the XFL. The rules in the XFL have encouraged for returns, encouraging safer collisions with the, the new rules of the new kickoff. It's great. I love it. It's a perfect mix of the new rules, which are safer and encouraging collisions through, you know, uh, through returns. It's just perfect, and I really, really enjoy it. I also love the transparency with the refs. Uh, you know, there's a camera and microphones on the refs while they're making the decision on a, a contentious call. You know, a booth review gets filmed now, so the guy making the decision in the booth has to talk through what he's doing on live television, you see the whole process. And when you get to see that, it makes it so much better for a fan because you understand why the decision is being made, why the call that is being called is being decided. It's great. I love it. Uh, I'm a big, huge fan of that. Uh, I'll say the jerseys are great. Uh, You know, my three favorite jerseys in the XFL right now are the Houston Roughnecks. Their home jerseys are great. The Dallas Renegades have great home jerseys. And the St. Louis Battlehawks have really cool, like, white away jerseys with the a cool helmet, the, the gray pants, the white on top. It looks awesome. Um, and the XFL in general has great marketing. Their social media is phenomenal. Whoever runs the XFL Instagram account, it's just at XFL. Oh my gosh. The people running that account, they do a lot of boring stuff that a league would do. Here's our player of the week. Here's a hype video. Here's that. But then they post some memes that are like really good. I saw a Snoop Dogg meme that says, yes, XFL football is happening today. Things like that that are just like, a, the fine touch that I find really good, and I'm really a fan of what the XFL is doing. There, it's just outstanding. And having capital has really given the XFL a lot of freedom. There's no money crunch. Uh, one of the things that I noticed is that 
teams are ready to play. And a large part of that is because they did a lot of preseason games. Uh, they flew teams around the country to play each other and have practice preseason games. And doing all that costs money. Having a preseason that really wasn't publicized was just a loss to the league. It cost them money to fly players down to Houston, to have a game, to put everybody up in a room. And yes, it, it, it's at cost, but because they had that, players were more prepared for week one and it paid off big time. So the investment the league's made and having capital and having money behind the league has allowed for them to have a lot of freedom and made it just a significantly better product. This is a clearly, when you compare the Alliance of American Football to the XFL, my friends that play in the league, it's very clear watching the league, the XFL has more money behind it and it's going a lot farther and it's given the league more freedom so that the teams can focus on winning football games rather than surviving as an entity. And that's a gigantic, gigantic difference. Money is not an answer to everything, but what it does do is gives you freedom. Uh, a lot of people say that money is happiness. Like This is just a, an aside in real life. People say money gives you happiness. It doesn't, but what it does do is gives you freedom. And we're seeing the similar thing with the XFL. The XFL is freedom to do things and put good football, quality football at number one. And business has taken a backseat to some degree for the coaches, for the players. They can focus on what they're supposed to do and allow the business people to focus on the business side of things. Um, I do need to say the quarterbacks were awesome. Uh, there's a big difference between... So my three favorite quarterbacks to watch in the XFL are Philip Walker from the Houston Roughnecks, Cardell Jones from the D.C. Defenders, and Jordan Ta'amu from the St. Louis Battlehawks. All of them can run. And I got to say, if your quarterback isn't mobile, I don't care. I have a harder... Like Aaron Murray from the Tampa Bay Vipers is not fun to watch. It's not good. Um, and the, the big difference between the NFL and the XFL is this right here with quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are able to get away with a lot more in the XFL than they would in the NFL. Receivers are more open. Defenses are just a hair slower, meaning that you can be late and get away with being a little bit late and still complete a pass. You, can, you don't have to be, have perfect timing. You can make up for little errors in decision-making because defenses aren't quite as good and quite as fast. But when I watch Aaron Murray, a quarterback at like Tampa Bay, who is an average decision-maker, who doesn't have a great arm, and he can't run... I'm done. In the NFL, people, quarterbacks like Tom Brady are so great and don't need to run because their decision-making is impeccable. No quarterback in the XFL has impeccable decision-making. So if you, you're not going to be a great decision-maker, you better be able to run because I want reasons to watch you. And if you can't move around even a little bit, like Philip Walker made great decisions for the most part. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu did a really great job. But they can move, and even though they're not perfect, and they make pretty good decisions, they're not perfect, though. Their ability to move makes them so much more watchable. They can extend plays. They can avoid sacks. They can run when they need to. That's what I want to watch in the XFL is quarterbacks who can run around and are dynamic athletes. So the big difference in the XFL is that success does not directly correlate to the NFL. Again, defenses are, I, I don't know how to put it other than say they're easier. They're slower. Receivers are open by more. Uh, they're more forgiving. You can be a little bit late and still complete a pass. So don't mistake success in the XFL for direct. Don't don't mistake success in the XFL that could lead to direct success in the NFL. They're a little bit different leagues. Timing is a little bit different. Things are just slower. And so we saw PJ Walker have a great day. That doesn't mean PJ Walker could suddenly be a franchise quarterback in the NFL tomorrow. By the way, the best stadium I saw in the XFL was. Uh, 
It was out. It's I think it's Audi Park is what it's called. Audi Park in Washington D.C. Audi Field, maybe is what it's called. Audi Field is what it's called. Uh, it's a stadium that holds twenty thousand people, and the the people at the game there were seventeen thousand and some odd people that showed up for the game in D.C. and it looked packed. And it's really clear to me that having smaller stadiums is good for the XFL. They need to have more of that. More lean into more of these. 20,000 people stadiums. Rather, we, like I watched the New York Guardians play in MetLife Stadium. And it looked like a lot of people showed up to the game. I mean, the lower bowl was full. But it's jarring to watch when you look up and you see the upper decks completely empty and devoid of people. It's not really fair. Again, you're not going to get... Uh, MetLife Stadium holds like 82,000 people, something like that. You're not going to get that many people that come to an XFL game. So it's... I, if you can find a way to... Maybe in the future, maybe next year, I have no idea... But playing in empty stadiums is not a great look. The, the best atmosphere I saw all weekend was in D.C. In a smaller stadium, it was more intimate. It felt packed. The crowd was into it. I want more games in situations like that rather than a gigantic. Like Houston has a gigantic empty stadium. Tampa Bay next weekend is probably going to have a gigantic empty stadium. MetLife has a gigantic empty stadium. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the league. A lot of people still sit up. The lower bowl is full. But it's just a jarring look to have in the upper deck be empty. I'm not saying it's not going to, the league's not going to fail or succeed based on the upper deck being empty. It's never going to be full. It's just kind of a weird look. But I do got to acknowledge that the atmosphere in Audi Field was phenomenal in Washington, D.C. And watching that crowd fill up that stadium and just go bonkers was so much fun. Now, uh, the final, so again, lean into intimacy. Intimate settings in the XFL are perfect for the stadiums. The final thing I want to say, is that the benefit of a new league is that there's less emotional attachment to the teams. Fans have not had years to build up hate and anger and and massive love for their franchise. And for me, that makes the game more fun. I don't resonate very much with the fan side of things. I got a message from a, a guy on Instagram who said, you know, I've never understood how you feel watching football because I have a favorite team. And the guy said he has a favorite team and he never understood how I enjoy the NFL because I don't have a favorite team. And then he said, but the XFL has opened my eyes to watching football without a favorite team makes it so much more enjoyable because you can just focus on the game rather than the tensity of needing your team to win. Uh, people were just watching because they love football. It's pretty clear. The XFL is their, their whole motto literally is for the love of football. And I think it's a lot healthier to watch football because you like it, because you want to watch the game, rather than because your team needs to win. And there's a prime example of this. At the end of halftime in the L.A. game, the L.A. Wildcats screwed up an opportunity that cost them a chance to kick a field goal. And like it, it sucked. It was unfortunate. It was mismanaged uh, by the, the guy snapping the ball. But if that had happened in an Eagles game or in a Cowboys game, or in, I don't even know, a New England Patriots game, the world would be over. I mean, like, people would act like the world ended. And I don't miss that side of the NFL at all. I don't miss the vitriol, the hatred, the deep, intense anger and emotion from fan bases. I don't miss that about the NFL. And I really have enjoyed watching the XFL of people that are like, hey, we don't care. We're happy football's on. We're happy. There's a, a happier tone. Everyone seems to be far more positive about the XFL they're just happy and they love football. And for me, that, that's a much more healthy way to watch football. So I just had to acknowledge that. 
at the end of the, the, the my takeaways from the XFL, people are enjoying football a lot more than I think there's a, a happier tone to the XFL than there is to the NFL because the NFL has years and years of fandom for better or worse. Like it's good people spend money. Cowboys fans have a deep, deep passion for their football team. But that also comes with the negative side of when things go wrong or not their way, man, they are kind of nasty, kind of mean, pretty angry. And we don't have that in the XFL. And it makes me really happy. I really, really enjoy watching football without all the vitriol, without all the anger and the hatred. For me, it makes it a way more enjoyable experience to talk about, to cover, and to even watch. Just It's just more fun for me to follow a league that doesn't have that level of hatred yet. It will someday. It doesn't yet. So appreciate it while you can. Uh, people right now are just happy there's football. And uh, right, I, I, that's how I love to watch football. I love it. And the XFL, again, in totality... Week one was a massive, massive success. Okay, what I want to do now is um, I want to run through the league and say a little bit about each team, share my impressions, talk about what I saw. And I want to start with the DC Defenders. I was really, really impressed with what we saw from the DC Defenders. I love the, the number one takeaway from this team. I love the head coach, Pep Hamilton. Pep Hamilton is a great, great coordinator. Uh, he's awesome. He's been waiting for years to have an opportunity to be a head coach at some level of professional football. I think he's wanted a job in the NFL, uh, but I'm happy, man. Now he finally got his job. He finally got his opportunity, and he is so good. Here is why Pep Hamilton is so good at his job as a head coach of the D.C. Defenders. There are two reasons. Number one, he's a great communicator. He's a phenomenal phenomenal communicator. He's mic'd up all game. And the benefit of having a coach mic'd up all game is you get to see how they operate. How do they talk to their players? How do they communicate with guys? And some coaches, it hurt them. Pep Hamilton, it only helped. It was because here's the thing. If you have nothing to hide, if you're a good guy, if you communicate well, the mic doesn't hurt you. If you're a guy who's a bad communicator, the mic is bad for you. Pep Hamilton is a great communicator. The way he interacts with his players is phenomenal. He did a great job with the quarterback, Cardell Jones. And Pep Hamilton is a clear, direct, very straightforward speaker. He's a good teacher of football. And man, does it come through, both when you watch his team run an offense and then when you watch him and the way he interacts and talks to his players. It's so awesome. There was a moment where there was some confusion on the sideline, and he just grabbed his players' attention. He said, hey, listen up. But he was, he was firm. He was direct. But he wasn't mean. He wasn't too harsh. He was just very firm and calm. And right now, I got to say, my favorite coach in the entire XFL is absolutely Pep Hamilton. If I was a player, he's the guy I would want to play for. That leads me to the second thing that I love about Pep Hamilton is that he had his team ready. He is a great, phenomenal, phenomenal coordinator. The D.C. Defenders were the most prepared team I saw all weekend. And it really reflects on both the coach and the players buying into their coach. Uh, the defender's offense was so well organized. Guys executed well. Players were in the right spot. They played smart. And that made a huge, huge impact on the final outcome of the game. The D.C. defenders beat Seattle 31-19. to uh, Quarterback Cardell Jones was 16 for 26 passing. He had 235 yards, two touchdowns. No interceptions, and uh, he made some big plays. But again, he was well-prepared. 
The coaching was the difference in this game. It's really, I mean, Cardell Jones is phenomenal. And I really was waiting to see what is Pep Hamilton going to do with this really talented quarterback, Cardell Jones. Man, it's like they're, they're a marriage perfectly made for each other. The way they communicate, it's clear Cardell Jones has been well-coached. He's well-prepared. Guys lined up in the right spot all game. Again, the D.C. defenders are the most prepared team for week one of their season. Uh, there was even a trick play they ran where the guy made a wise choice and didn't force the ball downfield. He threw it away. There was another opportunity where uh, things went wrong and Cardell Jones threw the ball away. There are so many opportunities where the D.C. defenders just look smarter. They look better organized. They are a well-oiled machine already after one week in the XFL game. That's really impressive. That speaks volumes about the coach, Pep Hamilton. Again, I, I loved watching Cardell Jones. Um, he's accurate. He's got a huge arm. He can move around a little bit. He was able to avoid sacks and run. I, I am Cardell Jones is one of my favorite quarterbacks in this league to watch. Part of it's the coaching. Part of it is his physical ability. I loved watching the D.C. Defenders. They're great. They're one of the better teams in the league. I love their park. They're, they play in... Audi Field, which is a really small, intimate stadium. It looks really nice, though. Like it's small, but it looks like it's really like very nice, very state of the art. Um, I think if I had to go anywhere to watch a game, I'd want to go watch there. And I am so excited to watch the DC Defenders moving forward. I feel really overwhelmingly positive about them as a team the rest of this year. Now let's talk about Seattle. The Seattle Dragons lost to the DC Defenders. 31 to 19. And the number one thing that stood out to me was their head coach, Jim Zorn. <sighs> um, the XFL gives us access, tremendous, tremendous amount of access because coaches are mic'd up the entire game. And for some guys, that's great. For Jim Zorn, it's really bad. It did not make Jim Zorn look bad. We got to hear Jim Zorn the entire game. The way he interacts with his players, the way he communicates. Uh, and I got to start off by saying Jim Zorn is a legendary quarterback in the Northwest. I'm from the Northwest. I live in the Portland area. He's a long time. He was the Seattle Seahawks quarterback for years. He's a legend kind of in this area. But being a great quarterback and great player does not necessarily mean you're a great coach. And watching Jim Zorn, his communication skills were really, really tough to watch. You know, Brandon Silvers is the quarterback in Seattle. And, uh, you know, Jim Zorn and Brandon Silvers, the two of them didn't have a negative interaction, but it really was odd to watch. I kind of felt bad for Brandon Silvers because there were moments where Jim Zorn was trying to coach him up and Jim Zorn just could not clearly communicate the message. It was like, man, this coach is having a hard time explaining what he's trying to say. And, you know, Brandon Silvers is one of the more talented quarterbacks in the XFL. He's a huge dude. He can run. He can throw. He's got a cannon for an arm, but he lacks polish, and he needs good coaching. You know, he had three touchdowns and two interceptions in this game week one. And Brandon Silvers really reminds me of a quarterback from the early 90s where, you know, he would have been a franchise quarterback back in the early 90s. Kind of reminds me of Rob Johnson, the former Buffalo Bills quarterback. Giant dude, huge arm, takes a lot of chances vertically. But he had some rough moments. I mean, in today's NFL, so in, in the early 90s, Brandon Silvers would have worked, but in today's NFL, football is now far more precise. You got to be really polished and a great decision maker, which he is not. Brandon Silvers had some rough moments. He was forcing throws downfield. He wasn't throwing to his checkdowns underneath. 
And so the biggest storyline to me in Seattle is will Brandon Silvers progress throughout the course of this year? I am not confident that head coach Jim Zorn can help Brandon Silvers mold and develop as a quarterback. I don't think he has the necessary communication skills to help him. And I just look at Seattle. There's a lot of potential in Seattle. Brandon Silvers is a really talented quarterback. The question is, will he improve? Is his accuracy going to improve over the course of this year? Is his decision-making going to improve? Is his understanding of situations going to improve? How to handle this versus that? I'm excited to watch and see what happens, but if it doesn't work out between Brandon Silvers and Jim Zorn, a lot of this is going to be on the coach, a coach that was unable to communicate effectively and teach the game of football effectively. He might know the stuff, but if his teaching skills aren't good enough, Brandon Silvers is never going to develop and never going to get better. And so that's what we got to see. I'll be at the next two Seattle Dragons games in Seattle. I'll be there. It'll be really fun. I'm excited to watch the games live. Um, But the question is, how much can Jim Zorn's coaching ability develop and mold the young quarterback Brandon Silvers in Seattle. Okay, uh, the star of the weekend was Houston Roughnecks quarterback Philip Walker. I believe everybody would agree he is the most fun player to watch in the XFL. I loved it. Houston beat LA 37 to 17, and PJ Walker was 23 of 39 passing for 272 yards, four touchdowns. He did have one interception. He also ran the ball four times for 26 yards. Now, the runs from P.J. Walker that I most remember are not the ones where he got yards. There were multiple times where he avoided a sack and ran around, kept his eyes downfield, and threw the ball for a big game. There's one that is ingrained in my memory where Philip Walker, Philip or P.J., depending on who you wanna, how you want to call his first name, he avoids a sack, he runs around, he's running to the left, flips his hips, throws the ball downfield into the end zone for a touchdown. And I was like, man, that is so awesome. So much fun to watch. Now, P.J. Walker had a 59% completion percentage. A lot of people that are stats nerds will go, well, P.J. Walker puts up their glasses. P.J. Walker was uh, only a 59% completion percentage. He didn't complete a lot of passes. Shut up. Get out of here. You don't understand the game of football. P.J. Walker's offense in Houston with June Jones is an offense that just encourages taking chances downfield against man coverage throw the ball vertically the Houston Roughnecks were throwing the ball downfield constantly taking chances taking chances yes it did result in a lot of incompletions but it wasn't bad it was Philip you know PJ Walker was executing the offense throwing the ball vertically against man coverage taking chances downfield that's not a bad thing that's him running the offense the way it's supposed to be designed now I think a lot of people watch P.J. Walker, and see an NFL quarterback. People go, you know, he's 24 years old. He can run. He's putting up big numbers, throwing the ball. And you look at the dude, and I I watch P.J. Walker. I go, man, he's making some great throws out there. His best throw was on a third and nine down the middle of the field to Nick Hawley into tight coverage, just a dime down the middle of the field. It was the best throw I saw all weekend. But what people don't understand is that the XFL game is a little bit slower than the NFL. Not by a lot slower, but a little bit slower. Meaning that defenses are more forgiving in the XFL than in the NFL. Quarterbacks can be a tad bit late and still complete a pass. 
Receivers are more wide open than normal. Being a quarterback and being a good quarterback, being even the best quarterback in the XFL, which I think P.J. Walker is, does not mean he'll immediately be an NFL starter come next year. He's good in the XFL, where guys are more wide open. You can be a little bit slower. Things aren't quite as quick. He's dominating the XFL. That's a great sign. You should dominate the XFL. But there were still a couple moments where P.J. Walker got away with a throw into tight coverage, or he was a little bit late, and it shouldn't have been caught, but it was. Or, you know, there was a play in the red zone where he did throw an interception, and I went, hmm, it's not really great. So, you know, I, I just, I loved watching P.J. Walker, but understand, dominating the, in the XFL does not necessarily mean you're a future NFL franchise quarterback. Now, I want to give a ton of credit to the Houston Roughnecks head coach, June Jones. So the quarterback battle in Houston lasted for a really long time, and it came down to either Connor Cook, the former Michigan State quarterback, or P.J. Walker. And the big difference between the two quarterbacks that Houston had to decide between was mobility. P.J. Walker is a dynamic athlete at quarterback, while Connor Cook is a more standard pocket passer with limited mobility. He cannot run around. And Houston decided to play the dynamic athlete at quarterback. And it paid off big time. I loved it. It was awesome. And take note of that. There are some teams in the XFL that did not lean into having a dynamic athlete at quarterback. And it cost them. So credit Houston. They were willing to say, you know what? We're going to play this guy, Philip Walker, who we haven't been able to see him run around. In practice, you can't really tell how mobile a quarterback is. You assume they are. But because quarterbacks aren't live, you're not seeing a guy break tackles. You're not seeing a guy avoid a sack. But they took a chance saying, we like P.J. Walker, and we know there's an element to his game that's undefinable we haven't seen yet. We're going to go with him rather than, the, the, at least from my perspective, the more boring Connor Cook who has no ability to escape a sack, not a dynamic athlete, can't move around. Really big credit to Houston. Great job leaning into a dynamic quarterback. I thought it was a great move, and it really paid off for Houston. Now, one final thought. One of Houston's best receivers is Nick Holley. He had four catches for 50 yards this weekend, and uh, he's a tough cat. He made some really good catches into tight windows where there are guys all around him in traffic. He still hung on to the ball. He made a catch on the goal, and I went, wow. It's a big-time catch. And Nick Holley is a really, really cool story. He played college football at Kent State. Kent State. And, uh, you know, he played all over the field. In his five seasons at Kent State, he played, you know, five years in college. Year one and two, he played receiver. Year three and four, he played running back. And then year five, Nick Holly played quarterback. He did it all. It's pretty cool, crazy and pretty wild to me. I'm like, wow, Nick Holly is just a jack of all trades. You can put him anywhere. And he's just a guy who loves football. And it really came clear to me in an interview. He talked about his past. If you don't understand Nick Holly, he has struggled with injuries for years. He had three years in a row where he had a season-ending injury. He had basically three torn ACLs. He also broke his back at one point. And so he gave one of my favorite interviews of the entire weekend where he was talking about, you know, why the, the interviewer asked him, why are you still here? Why are you still playing football after all the torn ACLs, after the broken back? And Nick Holly just said, man, I love football. I love playing the game of football. And it really, I was watching and there was a moment where I didn't cry, but it had like a, you know, that your cheeks kind of well up and you go, oh, 
I don't, I, I'm not going to cry, but I'm really close. It was that moment where I went, man, this is beautiful. To me, there's nothing better than a guy doing something because it's what they love. Do what you love. And Nick Holly's doing what he loves, playing college, you know, playing professional football, playing the game of football, period. And to me, man, that's so awesome. Uh, there's nothing I appreciate more than stories like Nick Holly, where a guy really is going after it, chasing his dream, doing what he loves. And to me, it was one of my favorite stories of the weekend, hearing that interview, hearing Nick Holly talk about his journey, and hearing Nick Holly talk about how much he loves the game of football. Now, um, the LA Wildcats lost their first game, 37-17 to Houston. And I got a lot of things to talk about about the LA Wildcats. First of all, all the teams that lost this past weekend are going to be fine. The XFL has a lot of parity. Uh, I think the worst team that lost is probably Seattle. They're the most screwed of any team that, to lose. Uh, you know, Dallas didn't have their starting quarterback. Uh, Houston, the, excuse me, uh, not Houston, uh, the Tampa Bay Vipers were 0 for 4 in the red zone. They had many opportunities. They blew it, but the Vipers are still a good football team. And the LA Wildcats didn't have their starting quarterback, Josh Johnson, playing in this game. He was hurt. He should be back. But as a result, uh, L.A. had a quarterback named Charles Knopf playing quarterback. And he literally had just gotten to L.A. I felt pretty bad for him. He'd only had five practices with the Wildcats before he was thrown into the starting role. And he did as good as he could. He was 21 for 40 passing at 214 yards, one touchdown, had an interception. Uh, Charles Knopf, man, I really, he had some moments I went, wow, he's doing great stuff. He's fighting hard. In the end, the lack of preparation caught up to him. But it was just unfortunate because he seems like a good dude. I really liked his attitude, his energy, his effort. He did a great job, made some throws where he was getting hit as he threw. He stepped up, took the hit. I was like, man, Charles Knopf, credit to him. He's not well prepared. He was still learning the offense. It was pretty clear. But he really did a good job working with what he could, did the best he could. And uh, it's just a scrappy quarterback. I, it was kind of weird. At the end, L.A. benched him for a couple drives. And I was like, what are you doing? This guy is really taking you the whole game. And so he had a good start. Charles Knopf really tailed off at the end. He's not the long-term answer at quarterback for L.A. But I really, really was impressed with just the effort he gave. He did the very best he could in a really bad, really hard situation to succeed. He did better than I thought he would have. And uh, just props to him. It was fun to watch. Now, I got to say... Um, I'm a big believer in Winston Moss. Winston Moss is the head coach in L.A. I know some people who know him. They love him. They speak really highly of him. They believe in him. So because it's, because it's them, I trust their judgment. Because they believe in him, I believe in him too. And, uh, you know, L.A. lost, but they had a backup quarterback playing. And so I don't think you can hold this loss against L.A. I don't think you should hold this loss against the head coach. I think Winston Moss is still a great head coach. And uh, I love Winston Moss's offensive coordinator, Norm Chow. I don't know how I missed this fact, but somehow I had no idea that Norm Chow is the offensive coordinator in L.A. Uh, he's a great offensive coordinator. He coached Matt Leinert. He coached Carson Palmer, got them Heisman trophies. He coached Ty Detmer at BYU, got him a Heisman trophy. So he coached at USC, BYU. He coached Steve Young. He coached Jim McMahon. The dude is a legend, and I really, really respect Norm Chow. He's one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL in, in football, period. And uh, he's just a kind of a football legend. Now, the interesting part, uh, so I love the offensive coordinator. I love the head coach. 
Interestingly enough, the Wildcats fired their defensive coordinator, Pepper Johnson, right after game number one. Said, hey, bam, you're out. Then they also released Anthony Johnson. I don't think they're related, but Anthony Johnson was a... It was a shock to me because he was a captain. And he was a huge part of the team's marketing campaign and social media presence. Anthony Johnson has been released from the LA Wildcats. He's a former LSU standout. He was a captain on the team. And... It was just very interesting. I went, wow, they made significant changes to their defense after one game. Anthony Johnson, you're out. Pepper Johnson, you're also out. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I've got a lot of hope for L.A., but it will be interesting to see what L.A.'s defense does moving forward. What kind of adjustments do they make? They do have a defensive-minded head coach, Winston Moss. Um, and uh, how are how is L.A. going to do without those two people they just fired and got rid of moving forward? Is it going to be good for them? Is it going to be bad for them? I don't know. But I do have a lot of hope, and I think L.A. is going to be okay. I love their head coach, Winston Moss. I love their offensive coordinator, Norm Chow. They're getting their starting quarterback, Josh Johnson, back. They have a great receiver, Nelson Spruce. He had 11 catches for 103 yards this past weekend. I wouldn't give up on L.A. just yet. They're a good football team. They're better than the record shows at 0-1. And I feel really good about their franchise moving forward. Now, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um... I want to talk about the Tampa Bay Vipers. They are the most frustrating team to watch in the entire XFL. So they lost 23-3 to to the New York Guardians. And uh, the way they lost was ridiculous. I was like, are you kidding me? What's happening here? They made it to the red zone four times. They had four opportunities to score, and they couldn't make any of them work. They couldn't finish drives and get points on the board. They lost 23-3. to It could have been... What's the math? 31 to 3 if they gotten all the touchdowns they needed and gotten one extra point. I mean, they really could have been in this game if they just capitalized on the opportunities they were given. I mean, there were two drives where Aaron Murray, the quarterback, threw interceptions. That cost them the, you know, a, a drive in the red zone. And twice at the end of the game, the Vipers were stopped on fourth and goal. Twice. Two separate drives, fourth and goal, they couldn't score. And it was so frustrating because the Vipers were so much closer than the score would indicate. I mean, yeah, 23-3 to sounds like a horrible blowout. Except it wasn't a horrible blowout. The Vipers were moving the ball. They were in the game. They just couldn't capitalize and could not finish drives. And so, man, I don't know. Uh, the Vipers were frustrating for two reasons. Number one, yes, the missed opportunities were awful. The four opportunities to score were ridiculous. But number two, the quarterback situation was infuriating to watch for me watching this game. They started Aaron Murray at quarterback. Aaron Murray is a former Georgia quarterback. He's from the Tampa Bay area. He played high school football there. And so he's kind of like the the assumed hometown hero, played at Georgia. He was not good. He was 16 for 34 passing at 231 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. I will say he wasn't he wasn't good. He also wasn't terrible. Like, I think a lot of people are going to go, Aaron Murray. And I've even gotten messages from people saying, Aaron Murray is the worst quarterback yet. Yeah, probably Aaron Murray is the worst quarterback in the XFL that started last, this past weekend. But not everything that went wrong for the Vipers was on him. There were some dropped passes. There were some, op- some opportunities where people missed their assignments. It wasn't all Aaron Murray's fault that the Vipers really struggled. But Aaron Murray, first of all, his lack of mobility 
is a huge limiting factor for the Vipers. There were moments where he was unable to escape and unable to run run around at void sack. It really cost him. There were also moments where he just bailed out of the pocket for no reason. It's like, dude, where are you going? Stay in the pocket. Why are you trying to run? You're not a running quarterback. You just look uncomfortable in the pocket. Aaron Murray really, really struggled. And he's not great at anything. There's not a single thing Aaron Murray does that he's great at. He's very fine at everything. He's got an average arm. He's a fine decision maker, not great. He can't run. He's just, he's got a very kind of a noodly weak arm. He's got, he's very average at everything. And to me, it feels like the Vipers need to embrace their backup quarterback, Quinton Flowers. For the love of everything good, please make a change at quarterback. The Vipers' backup quarterback, Quinton Flowers, is a dynamic, dynamic athlete. And I'm not sure why he wasn't playing more. It was very weird. Now, maybe, maybe he doesn't know the playbook. That's very fair. Maybe he's a really limited passer, and we just don't know how bad he is at throwing the football. But it is odd, though. I don't really understand why Quinton Flowers hasn't been more embraced in Tampa Bay. I do got to point out that the Houston Roughnecks had a choice. The Houston Roughnecks had a choice between a dynamic athlete at quarterback, P.J. Walker, or a more traditional pocket passer, Connor Cook, Houston chose the dynamic athlete. They went with P.J. Walker and was a, it was a gigantic success in Houston. Now, Tampa Bay took the opposite approach. Tampa Bay decided, you know what? We're going to go with Aaron Murray, the boring, safer quarterback. And I really got to wonder if politics have played a part in this decision. You know, maybe it was like, hey, it's week one. Everybody's going to assume that Aaron Murray's going to be the starter. He's from Tampa Bay. He's the hometown hero. He's the local kid. Everyone assumes he's going to be the starter. Maybe we got to play Aaron Murray. Let him do terrible. And then game two, we'll have finally an example to say, look, trust us. Aaron Murray isn't the answer. We got to go with the other quarterback. We're going to take a risk. We're going to shake things up and run a different kind of offense with Quinton Flowers. Maybe they just needed one game to show, hey, we've given you Aaron Murray He wasn't very good. Now we're going to change things up and go with Quinton Flowers the rest of the way. I hope that's what they do. However, it's not clear that is what they're going to do. If it was me, if I was a person running the the Tampa Bay Vipers, I would embrace Quinton Flowers. I'd say, hey, he's our guy. We're going to run the ball the quarterback position a lot. We're going to basically do what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, build an offense around Quinton Flowers. I'm not sure if they're going to do that, but that is what I would do if I was the person running the Tampa Bay Vipers. I got to say, I really liked what I saw. Quinton Flowers did play a little bit. He ran the ball five times for 34 yards. He also threw two passes. One of those two passes was a really good completion into tight man coverage down the left sideline. Great throw. Took him down to the goal line. Um, I'm pretty sure I speak for all Vipers fans when I say that I want to see Quinton Flowers as the quarterback in Tampa Bay. Now, maybe the head coach, Mark Trustman, Uh, can fix things. Maybe he can salvage Aaron Murray. Maybe that's what he wants. I'm personally bored of Aaron Murray. He does nothing great. Average arm, average decision-making. He's got a very low ceiling as a quarterback. And so I want to watch Quinton Flowers. If it's me, please give us the quarterback we want to watch. Give us Quinton Flowers. Build an offense around him. That is what I want to see moving forward from the Tampa Vipers. Will they do that? I have no idea. But if it were me running the Vipers, I would say, you know what? Quinton Flowers is our quarterback. We're going to build around him and his ability to run the football and throw the ball. Similar to Lamar Jackson, let's build a game plan around Quinton Flowers' ability to run 
rather than have a stagnant offense that relies on Aaron Murray doing things that Aaron Murray really isn't great at. He's not a good enough quarterback to pick up our defense and play that style of football. Aaron Murray is a great backup in this league. He should not be a starter. He's in over his head. And if it were me, I would play Quinton Flowers next week and moving forward for the rest of the year if I was a Tampa Bay Vipers head coach, Mark Trestman. Okay, um, the New York Guardians won their first game 23-3. to It was a good win. And I'm not sure how much we should credit the New York Guardians defense. Um, the Guardians did have four really big stops in the red zone. They had two interceptions in the red zone, and then they had uh, two stops on fourth and goal at the end of the game. And for me, it's hard to tell. Did that happen because the Vipers, de- because the New York Guardians defense is really good, or because the Vipers, the team that the Guardians were playing against, are just a really messy, bad team that couldn't finish drives? I don't know. Was it the Vipers? Was it the Guardians? I don't know. But either way, the Guardians won 23-3. It was a great win for them. Now, the standout storyline to me in New York is the New York Guardians quarterback, Matt McGloin. He's awesome. I love him. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. He's got a really cool story. He walked on at Penn State, went to Penn State, did a great job, played there for years as their starter, kind of came out of nowhere. Really, really awesome dude. And here's why Matt McGloin to me is so much fun to watch. He's not a very physically gifted quarterback. He's got an average arm. He's not a huge dude. He can't run the ball a ton. But Matt McGloin does everything else right. Everything he can control, he's phenomenal at. He's really well prepared. He's accurate. He makes great decisions with the football. He's got great movement within the pocket. He's got great footwork. It's phenomenal. Everything Matt McGloin can control, he's phenomenal at. He's not the greatest athlete. He's not the tallest. He's not got the strongest arm. But he's really well prepared. And I love that. I don't know how you can't love that. It's a guy saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to be a great quarterback, to do what I do. He's a good leader. He's great pre-snap and understanding what a defense is trying to do to him. Putting his team in the right position to be successful. Picking a good matchup. I love it, man. I had a great time watching Matt McGloin. He's a great leader. He's awesome. Uh, He will probably never be an NFL starter. He's just not built that way. He's a small dude. He's not fast. He's got an average arm. But Matt McGloin is the perfect quarterback to lead an XFL franchise. And I cannot wait to see what happens. And continue to watch him throughout the rest of this year. I love Matt McGloin. He's awesome. And he's really, really fun to watch. Um, So now, let's shift our focus to Dallas. The Dallas Renegades lost to the St. Louis Battlehawks 15-9. And uh, I'm not concerned at all with the way that they lost because the Dallas Renegades were missing their starting quarterback, Landry Jones. Now, backup quarterback Philip Nelson did a respectable job. He did the best he could. He was 33 for 42 passing at 209 yards, but no touchdowns. He did have an interception. And the quarterback situation for Dallas made the difference in this game. Philip Nelson is a good backup, especially for the XFL. He executed well. He took what the defense gave him. But he was never able to push the ball downfield the way he needed to. He wasn't able to throw the ball vertically. And, you know, every throw that Philip Nelson threw was a five-yard just toss underneath. And that's not necessarily bad. You know, taking what the defense gives you is a good thing. A lot of quarterbacks aren't patient and don't have the ability to pick apart a team, you know, short and to intermediate. 
Philip Nelson did a great job taking what the defense gave him underneath. The problem is that when there were moments where he needed to throw the ball farther downfield, he was unable to do that. He was unable to throw the ball against man coverage. Uh, there were two throws, in fact, downfield where he just threw the ball straight up out of bounds. That's unacceptable. And then, you know, that final interception, the, the, really the play that iced the game for St. Louis was Philip Nelson trying to throw a ball like 15 yards downfield. Horribly inaccurate, not really near anybody got picked off. That was the big problem for Dallas was Philip Nelson. Dallas didn't score a touchdown. They settled for three field goals. And uh, it's likely that starting quarterback Landry Jones is going to play next week. Uh, that'll have a huge impact. Uh, should make a big difference for them. I-, I think Dallas is totally fine. They lost because they played a backup quarterback who couldn't keep up with the St. Louis Battlehawks. But they were right in that game. And with a better quarterback, they win that game, I believe. So I have no problem and no concerns with the Dallas Renegades moving forward, even though they started 0-1 and lost the first game. Now, it's also worth noting that the Dallas Renegades offensive coordinator is Hal Mummy. Hal Mummy is the creator of the air raid offense. Everybody talks about Mike Leach and Mike Leach's air raid offense. Mike Leach and Hal Mummy basically are the co-creators of the air raid offense. Hal Mummy was the head coach at Kentucky, and his offensive coordinator was none other than Mike Leach. They made the air raid offense together, and so... Uh, The point is that Dallas throws the ball a ton, really effectively, really well organized. They got a great system. How Mummy's air raid offense is so much fun to watch. I cannot wait to watch the Dallas Renegades with Landry Jones running that offense. It's going to be so much fun. There's a lot of potential in Dallas. They just need a quarterback who can complete a pass farther than five yards downfield. They're going to get that in the future. I have no problems with the Dallas Renegades at all. They were a good football team. They were in this game. Quarterback was the limiting factor for them. And in the future, they're going to do a lot better with Landry Jones. I got no problems with Dallas, even a little bit. Now let's talk about week one for the St. Louis Battlehawks. They won. The St. Louis Battlehawks won in week one. They beat the Dallas Renegades 15-9. to And first of all, I love St. Louis's uniforms. They're really, really cool. I really love the... They have the, the blue helmet, the white jersey, the gray pants. It looks awesome. And there are two players we got to discuss if we're going to talk about the St. Louis Battlehawks. Number one is their quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. He was outstanding on Sunday. He was 20 for 27 passing, had 209 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He also ran the ball nine times for 77 yards. He was not great in college. When I watched him at Ole Miss, he left a lot to be desired. And I watched you know, Jordan Tomo at college and went, man, I'm not sure that this guy is ever going to make it as a professional quarterback. I just was like, I don't see it. I see a guy who's inaccurate, who's making bad decisions, and I just was not sold on Jordan Tomo at all. And now, I don't know, looking back, was it coaching that cost him? Was it that he got better? I got to say, though, what I saw from Jordan Tomo on Sunday, week one of the XFL, really, really impressed me. And he's not the same quarterback I saw that he was in college. Um, you know, he didn't play anywhere last fall. I wonder again, was it that Ole Miss had bad coaches coaching Jordan Ta'amu? Or did Jordan Ta'amu just do that much work and really get that much better? He is light years ahead of where he was. His footwork is better. His mechanics are a little bit better. He made better decisions. It was really fun to watch Jordan Ta'amu. He's grown so much as a quarterback. And uh, I got to just give credit where credit is due. He's doing an awesome, awesome job. The dude is 22 years old. Uh, He's got a ton of potential. I love his game. He's got a great ability to move. Now, 
there are three issues I saw from Jordan Ta'amu. I'm going to be harsh because, again, I see greatness in Jordan Ta'amu. What I saw from Jordan week one was, wow, this is a 22-year-old kid who's got an, a possibility to be a really phenomenal quarterback. If he's going to do that, he's got to do three things. Number one, he forced a couple throws into coverage. Can't have that. Number two, he missed two really easy throws. Most notable was a a throw on an out route where it was just wide open, and he airmailed it for no reason. I, I was like, Jordan, what are you doing? You can't miss a wide open, easy throw short to the flat. You can't miss that throw. And number three, there was a play where he took a sack late in the game, and Jordan Ta'amu was in, unable to realize that the blitz was coming. The, the, the defense sent an extra guy. Dallas brought an extra guy blitzing off the right side. Jordan Ta'amu tried to run away from the blitz rather than reacting the right way, which is to say, oh, hey, Dallas is blitzing from the right. Let's throw the ball to the right to replace the defender with the ball. There was a guy open running a crosser underneath. Jordan Ta'amu tried to run away rather than calmly react to the defense with a throw. That's not great. You can't do that. But again, I'm being really, really harsh. And I'm doing that because Jordan Ta'amu has really small things to work on. But if he does that, he is going to be an outstanding quarterback. He had a great deep ball. Everything I saw from Jordan Ta'amu made me go, wow. He looks really good. There's a bright future here. I'm going to be harsh on Jordan Ta'amu every single week because, man, he has potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire XFL. And because he's so young, he's 22 years old, he's got a rare opportunity. Not every quarterback in this league. You know, Matt McGloin is 30 years old. Matt McGloin is really not probably going to move up from the XFL to the NFL. Jordan Ta'amu is 22 years old, really physically gifted, got a bright future, He could move on to the NFL. He's got that kind of future ahead of him. So I'm going to be harsh on Jordan Ta'amu, but it's because, man, I see the potential for a really good NFL quarterback if he can get things put together. And my three favorite quarterbacks to watch in the XFL are P.J. Walker in Houston, Cardell Jones in D.C., and Jordan Ta'amu in St. Louis. I never thought I would say that, but, man, he blew me away. He looks really talented. I want to see more from him, and I really want to see Jordan Ta'amu continue to grow As a quarterback, he can run, he can move around. I love the way he interacts with his teammates. He's well-spoken. He's a good leader. Jordan Ta'amu seems to have a bright future, and I cannot wait to watch his development throughout the rest of this year in St. Louis. Now, the number two player you got to pay attention to in St. Louis is Kenny Robinson. Kenny Robinson is a stud safety. He played two seasons at West Virginia. And then, you know, by the way, as a sophomore at West Virginia, He was a first-team, all-Big 12 safety. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. But then he had some issues. He got deemed academically ineligible. And instead of dealing with the NCAA and trying to transfer and putting up with all their garbage, he just said, you know what, screw college football. I'm going to leave and join the XFL. That's what he did. And I I love this story because he is potentially a new route for players to take. Rather than dealing with college football and dealing with all the nonsense, to leave college college earlier, maybe go straight from high school if you're good enough, go make money, go play in a league, and then eventually go to the NFL. The NFL has a rule that you got to be out of the NFL, you got to be out of high school for three years before you can join the NFL draft. Now, in the 2020 NFL draft, Kenny Robinson is eligible. He might, in fact, be drafted in April in like two months into the NFL. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm really curious to see what happens. But Kenny Robinson might be a future template for other quarterbacks and other people and other, not quarterbacks, but other players. But I think a lot of people in college football that play one year and have to transfer or find a better route, there are so many opportunities for people to go play in the XFL. I want that to happen more. 
screw the screw the NCAA. Like they're good. if you want a degree, great. But if you don't want to put up with the nonsense and you're talented enough to play in the NFL, screw them. Go play in the XFL. Go make money and get your time ready so you can go to the NFL and put some good stuff on tape. I have no problem. I'd be happy to see more guys take the route that Kenny Robbins followed, saying, "Ah, I'm not going to mess with the NCAA and their crap anymore. I'm just going to leave straight away and go play in the XFL. I love that. I want to see more people do that. Pay attention to Kenny Robinson. He literally might leave early. He might leave mid-season from the St. Louis Battlehawks to get drafted and go to the NFL. I don't know what's going to happen, but that'd be cool if it did. Keep your eyes on Kenny Robinson and what happens with his future in St. Louis. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Been a really fun episode. I had a blast with the XFL Week 1. It was so much fun. I hope you loved it. I can't wait for Week 2. Uh, I'm going to the Seattle Dragons game on Sunday. It's going to be really, really fun. Uh, my, my future plan moving forward for the way I'm going to cover the XFL is every Monday now, I'm just going to do an episode entirely dedicated to what happened over the weekend in the XFL. So every Monday... You know, we have four games every weekend. I can watch four games pretty easily if I'm dedicated and watch both games on Saturday, both games on Sunday. When Monday rolls around, I'll record an episode entirely dedicated to what happened in the league and talk about each team. That's my plan moving forward. I hope you're excited for that. I'm excited for that. It's a fun way to cover it. It's a fun league to follow, league to watch. And uh, man, I hope you have a great day. I want to share one more thing before the episode ends. Uh, my, my, You know, the the passing of my brother, the anniversary of my brother's death just happened and I want you to know that four years ago, um, my younger brother took his life. It was miserable. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. My brother never shared his struggles. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. Uh, one day I came home and he was dead on the floor. And so I encourage you, please, if you're having a hard time, don't suffer in silence. Please go tell somebody. Uh, I'm encouraged to tell you that you're supposed to do this if you talk about suicide. It's one of the media standards. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Don't call, if you don't have to, don't call the number. Please talk to somebody in your life. I wish my brother would talk to me. I wish my brother would talk to one of his teachers, a counselor, a person in his life. If you need to call the hotline, do it. If not, talk to somebody in your life. Tell somebody you know. But the big takeaway from this, please, whatever you do, don't suffer in silence. If you're having a hard time, please go tell somebody. And the second painful lesson I learned from my brother's death is that I didn't make it clear enough to him I could talk to him. We talked about movies and sports and video games and girls, but we never really had a deep, in-depth conversation. I saw him at least once a week, usually more. We worked together. We had a, a night every weekend where we would, every week where we would play Halo together. I saw my brother constantly, and we never had a conversation about anything with more depth than those four very lame topics. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to have tough conversations. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there a little bit and talk about things that maybe are not traditionally comfortable. You don't need to just talk about movies and video games all the time. You can have a really deep, meaningful conversation. Don't be afraid to do that. And make sure you tell the people in your life how much you love them and how much you care about them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love doing Strong Opinion Sports. It has made my world so much better. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done.